welcome. Legally Brief presents the Child Athlete Abuse Podcast. I'm your host, Judy Saunders. I'm a lawyer, mother, and survivor. I work with competitive athletes and their families who are confronting abusive coaches. This podcast is for parents and athletes who are fed up, dealing with fear, and searching for answers. While I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast, the contents are never a substitute for contacting and speaking directly with a licensed attorney who knows and understands your circumstances. Past episodes of the show can be found on my website, jsaunderslawfirm.com. And when you visit the website, have a look around. I've put lots of information there for you that will help answer your questions and will provide some options for you. Don't forget to subscribe to our monthly newsletter. If you're ready to speak confidentially with an attorney, please feel free to call me. You can reach me at 212-709-8141. And if anything in this show resonates with you, if you think it could be helpful to a parent, an athlete, a friend, share the episode. And don't forget to do two other things. Subscribe to the show. Also, leave a rating and a review. I read all of your reviews. All right, let's talk. I'm glad you're here and ready to listen. All right, so this is a perfect time of year. As we were just saying off camera, I thought of my friend Catherine Starr, because we are now, at the time of this recording, it's June, it's the summer months. There is a couple things that have coming out. The Olympic Games, we're in the run-up to the Olympic Games. So competitive, elite athletes are once again spotlighted. There's other things that are going on right now in our world. So Catherine, I've been following very much the um, NCAA lawsuit against Division I student-athletes that's been going on. They had oral arguments in the Supreme Court in March of this year. And there's a lot of different issues that are going on in that case. But one kind of overarching issue that I know athletes from varying levels, not only Division One, they've been talking about the use of their name, image, and likeness, discussions about fair compensation. Are they really considered student athletes versus student labors based on the amount of revenue, billions of dollars that they generate? And it got me to thinking, and so that's the second thing. And then the other thing that's very prominent right now in the news is Naomi Osako, the tennis player, very accomplished tennis player, who from what we can tell on the public side, neither of us know what's going on privately, but it appears that she's making a very brave stance and drawing a line in reference to her well-being and what she needs. And as I'm sure you'll say, what it appears to us to be, she's acting in integrity with ourselves. So I thought that this would be a great time for you yourself having the background of being an Olympian, competing at a high level, to speak to us about what athletes can do when they're coming into this pressure cooker of a season with the Olympic Games, competitive athletes, elite athletes, Olympians, what they can do to stay mentally healthy, have some well-being, how to draw those boundaries. So that's I just wanted us to have a free-flowing conversation in reference to that. And then also the, one of the other things, the fourth thing that's kind of in this whole vortex of sports and what's going on right now, the national team member. So the individuals, those athletes that are going off to the Olympics, the contracts are now coming out for them to sign. 
And I was reading and looking at the 2018-2019 contract. Now, mind you, they haven't posted the 2021 contracts. And so we're about, at the time of this recording, we're what, at June 8th? And the Olympians are going to have to get these contracts, read them, and turn them over under somewhat of a pressure. You know, it's not as if they're having them five or six months out. So I think that the process goes is that these contracts are given first to the athletes and the athletes are able to talk to them with their representatives or, you know, if they even have an attorney and then the release to the public. So all of these things, all of that pressure. So if you're an Olympian, you're considering the contracts, you're considering your mental health, the actual training, the competition. I just wanted to talk about that. And maybe you could even just briefly give a background, give your brief history and how you, what sport you were in and what you did, and just talk about the run-up to your experience as Olympian. Okay. That was a long introduction. I know a lot. (laughs) And one, I I think I can address a lot of that. I will address a lot of that. So, but first, so I was in the 84 and 88 Olympics. I was 16 years old when I was in my first Olympics and was one of the three youngest Olympians on the British Olympic team. And so there was a 13-year-old, a 15-year-old, and then myself at 16. And so there was like sort of a significant gap and differentiation between myself and the rest, like the team. I mean, you have, I mean, people who are old to you at like 25 to 30, like, wow, you're like, you know, it's like your perception and experience is very different in your youth than certainly when you're an adult. So, um, so my experience of like my first Olympics, the awareness or the lead up was still naive and childlike, partly because of like my age, but also like you have this dream and, and your dream is coming true of going to the Olympics, like everything that you train for. And I want to jump right into contracts. So I'm like thinking, I'm like, what did I, what did I have like back in 84? Just kind of thinking about that. And we sign stuff all the time. And so, and I don't even know, I mean, I'm a minor and I still would have been like agreeing to something or other. And I feel like when they do these contracts, certainly last minute and everything else, is that it's not unlike when you go to sign up for a website and they say, there's a little box that says like, accept these terms and conditions, right? And I don't even know if the majority of the people even read the first sentence let alone scroll to the bottom. And even if they make you scroll to the bottom until you can click on it, you're just fly through it to get to the bottom so you can click on it, right? So there's not a whole lot of, and even if you did read it, what, like what action can you take anyway against it? Like if you read it and you don't agree to it, then you don't have access to that particular service or product that you've already made a decision that you want because you've already started the process to sign up for doing this. So now if you equate that and look at the Olympic movement, you're now in the same situation where you're like, okay, I had a goal and to accomplish your goal, right? And your dream for yourself was to make the Olympics. So Am I now going to put myself in like, do I have the awareness and the ability to one say, oh, no, this contract would limit me in this way or cause this kind of future harm that I don't know about or my parents don't have the legal background to support that or know that or, you know, some sort of, you know, and 
or if I have an agent or whatever, you have the agent because you want to be the Olympian. So you're lining yourself up for all sorts of hidden harm that you may or may not understand or experience the problems associated with it. So, and one of those things that's like within the contract, like that has been for many decades, is this the 40 rule, right? Where you can't, your own advertise or your own, the way that you supported yourself as an athlete leading up to the Olympics, if they're not the Olympic sponsors, then you can't show or have any type of affiliation to them, you're now sort of you belong to the Olympic movement. And you're in this particular case, in like sort of the American in which many other countries have adopted the same sort of IOC legal requirements around this 40 day window, which is pre during and post the Olympics. So you can't even like go back to your sponsor. So it's sort of gone until the window is left. So as an athlete, then really, you're in the same situation as you're either clicking that box, and you're accepting whatever has been there, which is you don't have the opportunity to really be in integrity with yourself, which because at the one point, you're in integrity by the fact that you trained and you put yourself in a position to excel. And what we're losing in all of this is the purpose of the Olympics really is to show your higher like moral and ethical self with your ability to commit with the passion that you inherently have as a, as a human being. So you have nurtured that to its highest level within yourself. And that's what you're showcasing. That's the- powerful. That I've never quite heard it said like that, that that is what an athlete is doing at that level. That is really powerful. And, you know, I just wanted to stop for a second because what you're talking about, it is not unintentional giving these athletes another weight, another to put you in a bind. I would submit that giving the contracts, the national team agreements at this point, when I can only assume probably very safely speculate that these contracts, much of it's boilerplate, much of it's carried over from year to year could have been given way before, but you're putting the athlete, you're putting the family in a position where, like you were saying, you've trained so hard. Wait, what is this? I'm just going to sign it. But I would caution that any individual that has this contract, either they have it in their hands right now, or it's coming, say, in the next week or so, that treat this as you would any other agreement. Speak to whether it's an attorney, whether it's your manager or someone that you trust that understands illegally, there's a couple provisions right out. The name, image, and likeness provision, you can think about that. You can talk about that. These things can be negotiated. They can be crossed out. So what you were speaking about, about the sponsors, there's another provision that I was reading about from the prior contract that's posted online. And that has to do with the reference of, it also, it carries over with the name, image, and likeness. So take for an example that you are an athlete that's spoken out ferociously about sexual abuse and you feel that your governing body, whomever it is, skating or swimming or tennis, that they have not been true to how you feel or aligned with your position. You know, you may not want your image, your face, you know, in a campaign that they'll use. So you can also put provisions in there, you know, saying that you have the right of first refusal, that you need to see 
what's being, what your name is and your image being publicized next to. So those are just, you know, I put that footnote that these, this is the time. If you're listening to us and you hear this, you can go back. Don't feel that pressure that so many people do because you have trained and this is just something I need to sign, throw in the, you know, throw in a backpack and keep going, but please go on. Yeah. Well, you know, which also sort of brings us to this point of like sort of equality within athletes, right? So it's like access to resources and right. And so if one athlete has a really exceptional lawyer who, you know, that they're able to utilize and another athlete just doesn't have that, they're coming up they don't have the infrastructure, they don't have their entourage or people of support, like that in itself, it just creates a, a system of rank and order, right? You know, again, versus like having this, why are athletes even in a position? They're there to focus on their talents, their passion. And it goes back to like the work that they've done and the focus and the dedication and the perfection of their craft. And I really, that's, I like that statement. It's how I refer to myself when I train, even in my old age, I like to perfect, like perfect everything, perfect the craft. And, you know, and so now you're in a situation where it's not really your expertise. You're like at an advantage and you shouldn't need any advantage outside of your talent, right? It shouldn't be in that you know, just create inequality amongst resources versus having an athlete who's had a great lawyer that got wise, we should all benefit from that as far as I'm concerned. You know what I mean? Because if it's one athlete, it shouldn't even be in the contract. Right, right. That's true. Well, as you say this, I am going to post on my website, everyone, just some thoughts. As soon as I can get my hands on the 2021 National Team Agreement, I'm going to post it on the website and I'm going to just put some just general information out there that athletes and their families, a couple of questions, maybe I'll just put up 10 questions that you should ask about some of these, you know, more particular provisions. So that is definitely something that needs to be done. What do you think about one of the other issues? So now if we're building a pressure cooker, so to speak, that's the first ingredient that went in a pot. So you're training, you're training, you're dealing with a vigorous schedule, the run up to the big games, the Olympic games, or whether it's an elite competition, or, you know, we could speak on all levels, whether it's a just a travel team and a competition. So you're dealing with that as an athlete, and then particular to the games, to um, national team members, they now have this contract, they have to think about that. Let's pile in one other agreement. Let's talk a little bit about what is going on right now with protecting your mental health, feeling that you have to push back. How do you push? How do you set boundaries when you're under this intense pressure? And in particular, I'm referring to what's going on with tennis player Naomi Osako. Can you talk a little bit about that and how to protect your mental health and well-being? And what does that even look like? What can that look like for an athlete? Well, the place that I've moved to is, is about athlete integrity. And the reason that I've moved into into that is that what I have found, certainly for myself and then working with athletes over the years that have come for issues from verbal abuse, physical abuse, all the abuses, right, that have come through, say, for athletes. And the common denominator that I have been come across is that the original tagline for safer athletes was give an athlete a voice. And the reason it was that is because athletes, there's the imbalance of power between the coach and the athlete. And it's really the athlete in the system. 
it's not just the coach. It's the institution. It's the infrastructure. It's everything else. And then there's the athlete who's their single focus, right, is to become in like I had mentioned a few minutes ago, it's like there is perfect their craft. That's their focus, right? And that's what everybody around them wants in the system is the person who's perfected their craft to the highest level. Yet the system doesn't support that to come through with integrity. And if an athlete isn't speaking or they're silenced because they are in a process of perfecting their craft, they're out of integrity with themselves by the mere fact that if you're not speaking, it's a version of lying, right? So it's a version of like withholding when you withhold information or withhold a part of yourself, then you're not being truthful to the system. And then the way that we tell ourselves, well, you know, the coach isn't going to listen to us or they're not going to change or like we convince ourselves on every level an excuse that gives us a reason to stay there. Mm -hmm. And then once we believe the excuse that we've given ourselves, I feel as where the excuse we tell ourselves is the beginning of where the mental health and where the harm starts to happen. It's the, we start to harm ourselves because now we haven't developed a voice or developed, you know, our abilities to communicate effectively. So we don't have someone who to be able to hear that and understand elite level sports. They're the same excuses from 40 years ago that we have today. So that hasn't changed. Like the dynamic hasn't changed and the roads are still the same. And so what I am developing and moving towards and helping athletes is to be able to go through that process with them. I want to hear what you're telling yourself. I want to hear those excuses. And I want to hear like all the ways that you're lying to yourself to like stay in the training. And my thoughts are, is let me develop a different experience for you and give you tools and ways to communicate, ways to hear yourself, ways to take different actions. So I want to be able to use and work with the athlete's own voice and own actions to change the environment and in a way that's meaningful to them. And, you know, and often, for example, like their goal, if it was to become an Olympian, that may not truly be their goal. Like their goal may be, you know, something like just where they want to compete at a high level, but they're good and they're competitive. And then when one doesn't become an Olympian or doesn't become what the goal, because it can be the influence of the goal around them, right? Mm -hmm. It can be like your parents were super successful, like both high level athletes, and therefore you must become that, right? So, so, and it's like, and you have the talent for it, but that doesn't mean you have the passion to nurture the talent. Right. And so if you don't have like the full recipe, you know, for the success, then it becomes really difficult to move forward. But if you're training with this idea of like the outcome is more realistic for like if you're a division two program, like you want to compete at in college, but also academics are just as important, but you need but you have the passion to compete. But, you know, and so it's like, how do you balance all that out? Like, so it doesn't matter if you're an Olympian or a professional athlete or a division two, three, like it doesn't, or, you know, you're just in sport, right? But I think there's the truth of the drive. And so that's for me where I want to help people to be able to be like, go to their coach and be like, I am here for X, Y, and Z. Like I'm on a full scholarship, but I am here to do this. And it's clear, like, just be clear. 
right? And so then it takes away, like, you know, I'm pushing you because of this. And it's like, I will show up and I will give you my 100% commitment. But this is also why I'm participating, right? And it takes away the coach then is now in a situation where their behavior becomes extremely inexcusable, right? Because it's sort of like, well, you know, it's because you're on a full scholarship and it's because you're here that I'm entitled to do Mm. that, Mm. right? And there's a lot of that sort of entitlement that then as an athlete, then you're left with, oh, my coach responds this way, my coach does this. And I've told myself, because I've witnessed those experiences. And so therefore, I'm not going to go and tell my coach because this is how they are. And then you're left in this situation of harm. That's like a pregnant. And that's where the pressure cooker is. It just builds and it builds and it's built. And then it's our ability to shove it down and shove it down, shove it down. So you don't even hear it at some point in time. Like you need to compete to not hear yourself. And most people like their existence of hearing those red flags, you've heard them and they go flying by. As an athlete, the more you compete, the farther it goes down and the quieter and quieter. It's like turning the volume to nothing. But it manifests itself in other ways, I I would assume. Yes, it can't not its escape. But the idea of like, well, I'm at peace with it because I don't hear it. Like you're not hearing it. That's why I call it the athlete within. Right. And so for me, it's like, let's raise the volume of that athlete and let's create the responses and be able to articulate. Because I imagine that is the system the way the system is because the athletes, well, you've never said anything. How can you have you not heard that in every situation? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, you never spoke up. It didn't appear that there was anything wrong or didn't appear that you had any issues with this. So we kept doing this because nobody there was no pushback. I mean, that is a whole body of law, the failure to disclose, delayed disclosure, call it delayed outcry. Most of the times you see that in situations where there's some form of sexual abuse, you know, why didn't the individual disclose? But then it's also in, you know, physical and emotional abuse. And very, I find it very prevalent in, you know, the verbal abuse, the psychological abuse. Well, we didn't know anything was wrong. You know, they never, they never, they, meaning the athlete never spoke out. So crystallizing what you're saying so that the listeners can really understand, because you brought up so many important points, that the line to stay healthy, to either stay healthy mentally as an athlete, or to recalibrate and come back to mental health begins with the athlete getting back in touch if they've lost themselves. So let's throw out a fact pattern. So say that Mark is a competitive track and field. And for whatever reason, this athlete, he has objectives and goals that he knows that he wants. Maybe he's never told them. Maybe he didn't feel like he can tell it to a coach. Let's say that the coach, just for sake of this scenario, does cross the line as far as abusive coaching practices, the way that he speaks to players, and that the team members have just, they've gotten into just go along to get along. They've been groomed. They've been through the different, you know, excessive punitive punishments for not doing exactly what the coaches says. So in that type of situation, you would tell the athlete to what? Now is the time you have to speak up regardless of what the current situation with the coach may be. How would you say an athlete deals with that type of situation? So what I would do, and this is where I get into my athlete integrity coaching. So I go back to, I'd really want to get into a more fact-based structure of where things are at with the individual. 
and to pull out what's fact and fiction and really get into the core of that situation. Because I find one of the things that I have found around like emotional abuse, sexual abuse, whole separate conversation around emotional abuse is that there's the lead up, there's the incidences that, that happen. And so, and then there's the, the awareness of the event, the story you tell yourself about not being able to respond to the event, and then the suppression of that information, right? So if my coach or in this situation, the coach is referring to the athlete, just, you know, like, oh, you're a loser or, you know, just something that's derogatory in nature. Right. right? And you could already feel like you're kind of hitting a plateau because you've lost connection to the passion or you've lost connection to your ability to perfect. And it's because you don't know where you're going with your talent. You don't know where you're like, you don't have that direction to it or you've lost confidence in the, like where your outcome is. Like if you're going to win state, or if you're going to go to regionals, like all the goals that you have, if they're not clear, you have no, you don't have a GPS to guide you. So, and if that's not clear, then all the information that comes in from your coach, then also makes it, you internalize it in a way that's harmful because you, you don't have the push forward with the light, if you will. So then it becomes this compounded thing. So when I hear athletes say they've been emotionally abused, for example, I want to go back in and get to, let's talk about the incidences. Let's get back to like, because there's this sort of this conclusion to the outcome. And I want to change the way people look at getting to establishing the outcome versus the events that actually most likely would have violated policy along Mm -hmm. the way. And if we would have looked at you know, even and when I talk extensively about grooming, it's like it's not I don't like to go with just grooming because there's events that happened that were violated. If you had any type of policy in place, they would have violated the littlest of incidences. So what I what I like to do is I like to get back to the littlest of details. Right. And to show that this pathway that like where was the voice of the athlete very early on? Right. And then we can see how the athlete silenced themselves, right? And they made those decisions. That's why I'm doing athlete integrity coaching, because I'm going back to that core. Like, let's change your voice. Let's so change, change the voice. Right. And so, and let's give you some skills and, and let's support you through the process to be able to speak up, to not internalize, to not change yourself and your being because someone is being thoughtless and careless and they themselves are not in their passion and and they're being lazy or, you know, I know I'm making in the situation, but you know, if the coach, I've learned a lot having this puppy. And so Mm -hmm. in part of like my puppy training, if you will, is this thing knows nothing. Right. And I got to teach it to go outside, to go to the bathroom, and then to have patience and tolerance when I'm like, yesterday you got it. What happened? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, and it's been this really interesting, you know, a version of myself, which is like, I want to get frustrated because it's like, okay, you went three days without going to the bathroom in the house. Like, I thought we were officially potty break. <laughs> right. And then you're like, no, we're back at square one, you know? And then it's like, well, 
when you look at it differently and go, okay, I am the problem in this situation. What do I need to change about myself? And many coaches and many athletes haven't taken that approach. And so if coaches were to be like, well, and ask themselves more questions, and there's some brilliant coaches out there. And then there's some coaches who are doing it because they know the sport and they didn't accomplish themselves in the same sport. And so there's a lot of leftover that's getting carried forward to the athletes. And that is also where the harm starts to come in. Yeah. So, so for me, there's like, what can you do as an athlete? And I don't entirely just want to say mental health versus athletic health, athlete health, because there certainly is stigma around it makes it sound like the athletes in the wrong or the athletes harmful. There's something, you know, around like that aspect of it. As what a, do you mean by that term athletic health? Well, and I use that. I'm just sort of what thrive pride, like all the principles of being in integrity with yourself. Like, what does that mean? Like, you know, and for me, like the big thing for me is like, are your choices, do you have pride about your choice? Like, you know, and are you thriving? And if you're not thriving, what's blocking you, right? So there are things that as an athlete that you're excited to, like the wind is at your back versus having to be constantly like going uphill the whole way. Like at some point in time when you have that race, but what I mean by that is like, it's like being in the zone of an athlete, right? So there's in the zone of competition, like, you know, when you're in it, but then there's also like being in that same zone with life and within, and it just flows. And that's where I want to drive like athletes to be in and feel that the zone outside of it, when you're like having to just jump into it, like many people, that's why they still get up in their upper years and they go work out because they're looking for that high. They're looking for it to be in the zone. Like people know what that is. And I just think you can be in that zone in your career and in your path. And that's where I want to help athletes be in it. And so when I say an athlete health, like that is what I want athletes to be able to feel 24 seven. So we've spoken to athletes in particular, we've touched on a little things, some things, and I want us to come back And I want us to have a conversation specifically on ways that parents and supporters and even us, you know, sports fans, how we can support athletes during this competitive time. And a lot of this I'm speaking about because we are in the run up to the Olympic Games, how we can support. But what you were just talking about being in flow with athletic health, with integrity, with yourself, with your voice. Can you speak a little bit to your experience in being at the games, dealing with that pressure before, during, what about after? What can the athletes expect just when the games close down? How can they protect their mental health? That, you know, I mean, the only thing that I can even think about that parallels is, you know, preparing for a marathon, preparing for it for weeks, running it, you know, feeling that you got a time and then that, you know, the letdown. But I mean, that's the only even athletic thing that I even have to compare. But I, so I have no idea what even comes close to having the world watch you, have your country watch you, and then that letdown. How can athletes protect their mental health there to stay in integrity with themselves, say, right after the games? Yeah, that's a hard one. So you have a four year cycle. And so you're either like, so at 16, I had youth, right? So it's like I knew I had another games in me. So that was like 
one, the first lie, it wasn't that it was a lie that I told myself about my youth and had another games in me. But what it did was it suppressed any sadness or any feelings that I had as a result of my being dissatisfied with the results, right? So I hadn't accomplished my dream that I felt that I had the talents for. And at the same time, I have all the sexual abuse stuff that's not really registering as sexual abuse, just that I feel like I'm internalizing the harm of my failure. But Mm -hmm. then it's like, well, there's another games in four years. So that kind of keeps you going. But there's a it's like a drop off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Then the other thing that happens, and I wrote about this in my book, which we're, I'm still sitting on the sidelines with. So if you're definitely interested in it, it's because I very much wrote about this part of it. Mm-hmm. And what happened is, is people, when they meet you and they say, oh, they know that you're an Olympian, the first question is always, how did you do, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you didn't win a gold, there's the next part of it is almost inevitable. They go, oh, right. So there's like so much weight almost like in their disappointment comes that in those two letters, which then is like my disappointment of like feeling like, oh, I need to justify why I didn't win or, you know, like there's just this whole, like, what do I need to say about that? Right. Because it's the idea that like, you want to be proud about being an Olympian, but then there's the, oh, are you gold medalist? Right. And if you're not a gold medalist, and then if you're meeting a silver medalist or a bronze medalist, there's, this justification that you feel like you're stepping right into that because they're disappointed in not having the highest of interactions of some of the best in the world. And it's not always like that, but it's certainly. And so part of what I think from, you know, being a recipient of that disappointment on numerous occasions, spending because in spending a lot of time and reflection, thinking about it, and then wanting to have like a different response to all this, because I don't want to go into my story or anything like that. But many of my friends are proud of me and want to say, oh, yeah, my friend's an Olympian, right? And so for me, it's the, I think it takes like, it's not just about the Olympian, it's about supporting any athlete, right? So it's like supporting people in their passion and in their like, and being a place was that meaningful to you? Were you happy with your results? Was that because I've spoken to some people and they're like, yeah, I just want to go to the Olympics, right? Okay. You know, and they were just from another country and they were completely satisfied with just right. going. Right. Right. So, Catherine, what you're telling, it sounds like we need, we mean the sports community, sports fans, even close supporters. Maybe it's the neighbor that the Olympian is returning home and we need a wider way of thinking about. It's almost the evolution. I remember if you hear people talking about how society used to deal with, say, death or when you lost your husband or wife or a widow and individuals would never mention the person's name again or they'd never talk about it or they would expect you to be over it. And it's that restrictive way that we would deal with, you know, these types of situations. It sounds like as a society, we've done better. We've evolved. We now know that we can talk about death, that individuals need to talk about people that have passed, that we give people time to grieve. It doesn't happen in a nice, neat package. It sounds like that's the same type of awakening that or evolution that we as a society need when we look and we think about athletes. And after they've gone through some com- vigorous competition, how we can be more supportive. You don't just dive right into, well, what'd you win? Well, what'd you do? But it's just 
uh, being there, being supportive, or maybe you don't say anything. Maybe that's the way we support athletes after, you know, an Olympic game. Or would you say that? Would you say that we just, maybe we just sit and let the athlete, I'm, I mean, I'm speaking more so not just even the casual fan, but maybe the parent or the aunt or the neighbor. Should we just wait for them to talk about it? I mean, you certainly can take that approach, but we also have to also understand something, the identity, right? So, which is also, I wrote a lot about, you know, becoming like at a young age when I started, when there was the, the time when you realized that you had the talents to become an Olympian or you had the talents, like, so that becomes your new identity. And my dad's identity no longer was his, it was like, he was, you know, since I was Annabelle at the time, that was Annabelle's dad, right? So yeah, that construct starts to break down after you've ended your career. And if you right. don't have something else and you haven't developed your own construct of a person. So when I talk about like athlete integrity and the athlete within, that there's the characteristics of that athlete can still carry on without, and you can maintain that as your identity. You don't have to be a coach. You don't have to be any of that. And so helping an athlete transition, like you can't put the pressure on this society to be able to respond and get it right, right? Versus the athlete, what can the athlete do? And for me, I want to help the athlete transition out of their sport or transition from like one Olympic year to the next cycle, right? And how do you do that? And when you're wrapped up in this, who you are, and being able to strip those talents and strip those characteristics out and allow those to continue to shine through mm-hmm. and teach the athlete how to respond differently. Like, you know, like, oh, I be like the characteristics should be the outcome to your experience, not the what did you accomplish? Did you get a gold medal? What did that create in you? What did you become as a result of it? And instead of looking at what colors your medal or what place did you get? There's parts of you that became so developed as a person that those are the things that I can teach athletes how to lead with that in their conversation. You know, it's like my niece, she was a very kind of a withdrawn kid. She was just kind of to herself, very introverted, if you will, at a young age. And then she did, I think, karate or taekwondo or one of those martial arts. And she started to show she just came out of her, her shell. And then she started to develop as, as um, it gave her confidence, right? It gave her confidence as a person. And she went through college, got into, I'm going to brag about my niece for a second. Good. <laughs> because, you know, in, in, in school, she was just considered average, right? And, she, you know, she went, she went to Wisconsin. She'll know if she listens to this, she'll know that I'm talking about this particular niece. And she went to Wisconsin, engineer, wanted to be an engineer. And she was just kind of like her teachers were just like, you're just going to be an average kid, right? And it turned out that this average kid that got into karate or taekwondo, that, and I just saw the way she like saw how to develop and became a black belt. And like, she got to the highest level, right? Well, she just graduated from college, top of her class at Wisconsin and got into Stanford into their master's engineering program on a scholarship, right? And this is a kid that started off with, instead of, well, did you become the best person in that sport? She got to the highest belt, I think. I think there's probably multiple black belts and what have you. But but the characteristics that came out of sport carried with her. 
So she had the ability to transition that. That's what it sounds like is key in after the Olympic Games, after athletes, supporters, parents, how to transition, being aware and taking those characteristics and transitioning that to a new area. That sounds like that's the best thing that athletes can do. Because I think you reminded me, and then I even looked it up in one of our prior conversations, the statistics about how high it is a suicide rate among former athletes, which is a very sad thing. And, you know, I could speculate that there's several reasons why, but one would could be that identity and having that identity either misused by yourself or others around you, and you never are able to make that transition. I'm sure there's a host of other reasons, but I love this conversation. I know I don't want to take up the entirety of your day. I think we've been talking now about maybe 50 minutes, but I would think that some of the takeaways that I know that from our conversation for parents, for athletes, whether they're going into the Olympic Games in a month or so, to start with that voice within you, that that's paramount to speaking out, to knowing that you can give, Catherine Starr is giving you the permission right now, you heard it here, you can speak out regardless of the situation. And speaking out could be I, you know, against your parents, or not against or to them, I guess, to a coach. It could be whomever, but you have that permission. And I think that was exemplified in the tennis player, Naomi Osako. It's, I think that, and like I said, I don't know the details, but it's brilliant. I applaud her for speaking out. I think she's going to do a lot for individuals in the sport. And then we also touched on, and I love what you said about this whole idea of if you are, and when you're in the competition, when you're in the pressure cooker, so to speak, not only are you supposed to speak out, but think about how you're going to start to transition and carry those skills on. And also it's important. I love what you were saying about dealing with and being aware of once the games are ending, or even if you're still in the games and maybe your sport is over, but you're still there at the Olympic site, being aware of that sadness or even, or if it's disappointment or whatever it is, that drop off, feeling like you've come off the cliff, just maybe even, would you agree that maybe even Catherine, just being aware that these things might happen or you'll feel them could help you deal with them better? I mean, it's a cycle, right? And know that there's resources and help for people to work yourself through that cycle and you don't have to do it alone, right? And so, and I think that's part of the process and that's certainly what I'm, why I've moved to Athlete Integrity. So you can go to athleteintegrity.com and if like we have coaches and, you know, or come work with us and we can help you through that process. And we also work with teams and have a great structure to get athletes in integrity with themselves, learn how to do it and learn how to carry that awareness and, and about yourself. And really what it does is it changes the dynamic that athletes who are our strongest people and they end up in the, the most imbalanced relationships throughout their personal life and their professional life. And that is also the huge, like what I'm trying to change is how to redistribute that power so the athlete doesn't just focus on, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Right. Because it's also where they get lost in their identity, right? Because you're left to, this is the way the system is versus let me develop and help you and teach you how to drive from the athlete within you. Like, let's, let's light that fire. Let's light that flame. And that's for me where, where I want to help athletes currently in their athletic world and transition in a beautiful way 
and not have to feel like they've dropped off the cliff. Mm. Let us help work with you in that area. And that's, you know, um, especially if you're an elite athlete. And so for me, that's what's really the most important thing and that there are resources and you don't have to do it alone. Do and, not do it alone. Yeah. Do not and, do it alone. Yeah. I agree. So then everyone go to the, it's the athlete within, you could just Google that. Go to athleteintegrity.com. Athleteintegrity.com. Okay. Do that. And then also I am going to put up on my website, jsaunderslawfirm.com, the national team agreement. I will highlight and, you know, just offer some informational advice. So you don't have to deal with that. Maybe you don't have access to counsel access to advice, just some things that you can be aware of thing and questions that you should ask. Because again, being in integrity with yourself, asking those questions also applies to these agreements and at all areas of your life. This was a great conversation. Tell everyone. So during the Olympics, do you have, do you always watch the swimming? Do you uh, have a watch party? Do you not watch at all? What's your Olympic game plan? So I'm on the board for the SoCal Olympians. And so we will do some sort of watch party. There's the LA 84 Foundation. And so it's a matter of what California's um, gathering, current gathering limitations are or no limitations. That's true. That's true. That will affect uh, what we're doing. But there'll be some sort of, there'll be something that we'll do. That's great. That's great. We're opening up a little bit, I think a little bit quicker than you guys are on the West Coast. Things are opening up. Some of the curfews are are released, but the world is opening up again. Catherine, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I really appreciate it. And we will talk again really soon. Take care of yourself. information and content in this podcast is provided for entertainment purposes only nothing in this podcast shall constitute legal advice and shall not create an attorney-client relationship this information is general and may not be applicable to your particular circumstances you should review your particular circumstances with an attorney all liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast is hereby expressly disclaimed